The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. All right, Matthew 27. We're in a series called Dying Words. We've been looking at these statements that Jesus made from the cross. We've kind of placing ourselves at the foot of the cross, listening to these dying word statements. And we've been saying throughout the series, these are not the last words of Jesus, but they're the dying words. And what makes them unique is that most people, their, last wor- their dying words are their last words, but not Jesus. Why? Because he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. But these statements that he made were significant. And they, they point us to, to truths about who Jesus is and about what he's called us to do and what he wants us to under, understand. And so let me kind of quickly recap uh, where we've gone. The first week we talked about, Sarah talked about, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And we talked about how we're to offer radical enemy forgiveness. That when Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, it was something that he was saying over and over again. It wasn't a one-time statement. It was repeatedly on his lips. He was forgiving the very people who were hurting him in the moment. And as people practicing the way of Jesus, if he can forgive those that have hurt him, we as his people who have been forgiven much need to offer much forgiveness. Amen? Number The second week, Pastor Josh, Brother Josh Romano... Brother Josh talked about the statement, today you will be with me in paradise. And he talked about how Jesus was able to minister in his suffering to someone else who was suffering the same way. And that, you know, I think sometimes we think that because we're hurting, we need to get healed. And then once we're healed, then we can help those that are hurting. The problem is, if you're waiting for everything to be perfect in your life before you start doing ministry, you ain't never going to do ministry. Because you're going to be facing stuff your whole life. But what the Bible teaches us is that when we give, it will be given unto us. When we're willing to give from those areas where maybe we're suffering, maybe we're hurting, maybe we're dealing with some stuff. We're willing to, to minister from that place to somebody else who may be dealing with the same kind of hurt. That we can bless them and God can bless us. It's a great word. And then last weekend, Sister Sarah <laughs> taught an incredible word. I, I, I honestly think it is a landmark word for our church taken us to a whole new level of what it means to be the family of God. She talked about, behold your son, behold your mother. This, this statement that, that Jesus makes as we're entering into a new life that we can have in Jesus Christ where your family isn't just your flesh and blood family. It's the people of the family of God. That because of Jesus now, God is our father, Jesus is our brother, and the people around you that have made Jesus Lord of their lives... These are your brothers, sisters, aunts, and uncles in this greater family of God. And our job is to behold them, not look past them, but to see them and, and to serve them the way Jesus served us and to love them and to help them. It's been a great three weeks, hasn't it? I want to encourage you, if you missed any of those first three weeks, to go back, listen to those messages. I believe they're so powerful for you. Today we're going to look at the fourth dying word statement of Jesus. And as this Monday in our Being Transformed journal, if you're following along with us, uh, we read about this out of Mark chapter 15, but I actually want to read it from Matthew chapter 27, which, by the way, this is the only dying word statement that Jesus gives that is recorded in two Gospels. But I want to read it from Matthew 27 because there's a few extra details in it that, that help us really understand what Jesus was going through and what he was pointing us to with this statement. So look at this. Matthew 27, verse 45 says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? Verse 51, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Like some wild stuff starts happening. And coming out of the tombs after the resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Verse 54, When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the truth that you want to speak to us today through your word. I pray this, this morning as we look to your word, whether we're here or we're watching online, Lord, I pray that your word would speak to us and you would reveal to us a greater understanding of the love of Jesus, the heart of Jesus. The, the sacrifice of Jesus today, Lord. I pray, Lord, as I communicate this word, uh, that you would help me to communicate it in a way that's fitting to the King of kings and Lord of lords, that I would disappear and that you would show up and that this word would be made personal to each and every individual in this room. And we're careful to give you all the glory and the honor and the praise for all the fruit that will be produced out of this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did Jesus say this? And what was he saying when he made this dying word statement? Well, it's interesting because I, I think if I was to go around the room and ask you, I think a lot of you may have maybe an idea of why you think Jesus may have said this. In fact, as I was studying this over the past couple weeks, I came across a lot of different articles and even messages where, where people were talking about this idea that Jesus in this moment was so overwhelmed by what he was facing, by what he was going through at the cross, that, that he, he began to find himself in a state of going, I, I don't even understand what's happening to me. And they would kind of justify this as, see, some of us were so overwhelmed. Even Jesus was so overwhelmed by his circumstances, he would question God. But I want you to understand something. If that's what you think is going on here, you don't know Jesus like you should. Because that is not at all what is going on in this statement. When Jesus makes this statement, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, he's not in this moment going, God, what is happening I'm under so much stress, so much pain, so much is going on. I don't understand what's happening anymore. That's not what's happening. I'll show you that today. But in order to really understand what is happening, we need to look back at what's happening. So let me take you back to verse 45. It says, From the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Now, the sixth hour from the ninth hour in the Hebrew culture was not 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., it was actually noon to 3 o'clock. So think about this. Noon to 3 o'clock, that is, the, that is the, the time when the sun is at its highest point and it's at its strongest point. It is from those hours typically that in the summertime, I mean, the sun is beating down on you. It's the, it's the sun. When the sun does its thing at its best, it's from the, ninth, the sixth hour to the ninth hour according to the Jewish calendar. And yet during this time, the sun goes dark. Luke chapter 23 talking about this says this in verse 44, there was a darkness over the whole land, that means the entire world, until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. That word failed there means it ceased, it stopped. So from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, the sun ceased to do what it normally does at its best. Why? Because God hit the lights. God turned out the lights and veiled people from being able to fully look upon Jesus in what the state that he was in during this moment. Because 
this was the hardest three hours of the cross. What Jesus was dealing with. Listen, Jesus went through a lot on the cross. We know that. We've been talking about that. He, he had that crown of thorns pushed down, crushed into his head. He, he was scourged with, by Roman soldiers. And, and they, they beat him with this whip that had pieces of, of bone and glass and metal in it. That as, it. as it whipped across his back would literally pull chunks of flesh from him, exposing vital organs. Jesus was hung on a cross and, and, and hung in such a way that in order for him to breathe, he had to push up on the very nails that were holding him to that cross. And in doing so, caused nerve pain to shoot through his body just to catch his breath. Jesus suffered physically greatly on the cross. But all of that, listen, all of that pales in comparison to what Jesus experiences from the sixth to the ninth hour. Because from the sixth of the ninth hour, Jesus is drinking the full cup of the wrath of God for the sins of all mankind. It's from the sixth to the ninth hour that every sin, every ugly awful, horrible, disgusting, sickening, horrible sin is being placed on Jesus. All of your sin, all of my sin, all of it is being placed on Jesus. And with the wage of sin, or with the weight of sin, also came the wage of sin. And we've all sinned and we've all been sinned against. And sin hurts. It's, it's hard. It has a wage attached to it. And there's pain involved in it. And Jesus is experiencing all of that. Paul talks about what he went through. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Like Jesus didn't just receive some sins in this moment and cover them. He received all sin to the point that he became sin embodied hanging on that cross. And he did it for you. And he did it for me. He did it because he loved us. I read this this week from this book, The Desires of Ages. Ellen Gould White wrote this. She said, The host of heaven veiled their faces from this fearful sight. Inanimate nature expressed sympathy with its insulted and dying author. The sun refused to look upon the awful scene. Its full bright rays were illuminating the earth at midday when suddenly it seemed to be blotted out. Complete darkness like a funeral pall enveloped the cross. There was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. There was no eclipse or any other natural cause for this darkness, which was as deep as midnight without moon or stars. It was so dark. Why? Because of what Jesus was going through. God said, I'm going to hit the lights. And in this moment... A supernatural darkness takes place as God veils the world from being able to look fully on the Savior who is dying in our place. The darkness was a visible sign that God the Father had turned his back on God the Son and was pouring out an immense judgment for the sin of the world on his sinless Son. Jesus is bearing all sin. Your sin, my sin, every sin. Every awful, horrible, horrific, disgusting thing you can think of. And with it, everything that goes along with it. The shame, the guilt, the loneliness, the abandonment. Some of you have experienced abuse. Jesus experienced that. He's acquainted with whatever kind of grief you've ever felt. And with this, also understand he took on all the sickness of this world. Because sickness is a part of the curse. 
sickness takes place in this world because man sinned. And so Jesus is taking all of the sickness of this world on him. The Bible says this in Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace with God was laid upon him. And by his stripes we were healed. And yes, that's speaking to our spiritual healing and our mental healing. But it's also talking about your physical healing. Jesus took whatever you're dealing with, whatever pain, whatever disease, whatever you're dealing with. He took it on, on the cross. Matthew 8, 17 says, He took our sickness and bore our diseases. So much so that Isaiah 52, talking about what was going on with Jesus, prophetically speaking of this, says, But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. Jesus embodied sin. He embodied sickness so much so that he didn't even look like a human man anymore. Jesus did that. And he did it for me, and he did it for you. And I want you to know, of everything that Jesus faced, this is what he dreaded the most. If you remember, it was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was going there to pray. He invited some of his disciples to go with him, and they, they failed. But he goes into that garden, he begins to pray, and he's under such immense pressure that the Bible records that he began to sweat drops of blood. The capillaries in his head begin to burst because of the pressure that he was under. And it's from this place that he makes this statement to God as he's praying. He says this in Matthew 26, 39, my father, if it's possible, whew, may this cup be taken from me. That cup is the cup of the wrath of God for your sin and mine. But this is why he's the King of kings and Lord of lords and Savior for all mankind. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. David Guzik says on the cross, Jesus became, as it were, an enemy of God who was judged and forced to drink the cup of the Father's fury. He did it so we would not have to drink that cup. And it's from this place that Jesus says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But again, let me remind you, he's not saying that statement from a place of confusion and not knowing what's going on. In fact, Jesus is making a strong statement as to why he's here and what he's going through and what it represents. So to understand that, you need to understand a couple of things. First of all, when Jesus makes this statement, he's quoting from the Bible. He's quoting from Psalm chapter 22. It's a prophetic messianic pro prophecy speaking to the Savior who would one day come, speaking about the Messiah. This was written 950 years before Jesus was even born. And it starts off, Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So when Jesus makes this statement, it's kind of, he's pointing people to this. He's pointing us to this. He's pointing to them and saying, hey, you may not know what's going on here, but I know exactly what's going on here. And if you'll really pay attention to what's going on here, you'll see that the one that wrote, that, that, that's being spoken about in these prophecies is the one before you right now. Because look at what it goes on to say in verse 16. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. Look at this. They pierce my hands and my feet. And all my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots 
for my garments. Listen, Jesus in this moment is not going, God, what is happening right now? I'm under such stress. I'm, I'm dealing with so much. I have no idea what's going on. No, Jesus knows exactly what's going on. And he's saying to the people looking at him, hey, if you people will really pay attention, you will see that all these prophecies that spoke of a Messiah that you've been waiting to see fulfilled are being fulfilled through me right now. I am the Messiah. I am here. I am saving the world. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not confused by this. I didn't know this was going to happen. I've known this is going to happen forever, and I am the fulfillment of the prophecies. Jesus is saying that. But he's also saying this. He does something interesting. When he quotes this, this is the only time in Scripture that Jesus quotes the Old Testament, and when he does so, he doesn't do it in the language of the day. He's living in a Roman culture at this time, and, and most people speak Greek and Aramaic, but he doesn't quote scripture from Greek or Aramaic. He quotes this from the original Hebrew, and that's why in your Bible it reads the way it does. Eli, Eli, lama, sabachthani. So why does he do this? It's because he's pointing to something that we need to understand. So in the Hebrew language, there are two words for the word why, two uh, common interrogatives that speak to this idea or that, that word why. The first one is the word madura. Madura means to look backwards after an event and seek the cause of the action. So madura is basically like why, like what is going on right now? I don't understand this. So if Jesus would have said, Eli, Eli, Madura, Sabachthani, he's saying, my God, my God, what is happening right now? I don't know. Why have you turned your back on me? Why am I having to deal with all this? But that's not what he says. He says, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani. And Lama means this. Lama means to look forward and seek a demonstration of purpose. So when Jesus says this, check it out. What he's saying is, God, I know what's going on, but they don't understand what's going on. So would you demonstrate to them what's going on? And God starts to put on a demonstration. Let me show you three wild things that take place after Jesus makes this statement. Matthew 27, verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Now some of you are going, cool. But let me tell you, if you understand the significance of this curtain, you understand the significance of what is happening right here. Okay, so in the Old Testament, before Jesus, and at this time as Jesus is going to the cross, the temple is what housed the presence of God. I've actually got a picture, kind of an illustration of the temple here. And the temple was made up of these different courts. And the presence of God was hosted in the holy place there at the end, or the most holy place. That's where the presence of God was. But in order to get to there, you had to go through these other courts. And you, not everybody had access into the most holy place. So the first court was called the Court of Women. And the Court of Women was available to all Hebrew people, women, Children, men, everybody could be, as long as you were Hebrew, you could be in the court of women. The next court was called the court of Israel. The court of Israel, only Hebrew men could go in. No children in the court of Israel, no women in the court of Israel. So you see, as you move closer towards the presence of God, access is getting more and more limited. The next is called the court of priests. You'll never guess who's allowed into the court of priests. The priests, you guys got it. Yeah, not a trick question. It's the priests. So only the priests were allowed in there. Not just any man you come to there, they're going to be like, no, seat's taken. You're not available. Can't go in here. But if you're a priest, yes, you can go in. The next one is called the holy place. Only specific priests were allowed into the holy place. Typically, the sons of the high priests were allowed in the holy place. And then you had the most holy place, the place where the presence of God resided. The Ark of the Covenant and the elements were in there. And the presence of God was in there. And only one person was allowed into the most holy place, and that was the high priest. 
And the high priest could only go into the most holy place one time a year on the Day of Atonement to make a sacrifice, to pour out a blood offering for the sins of all the people, pointing to the Messiah who would one day come. And even when, but listen, even when he went in, see, access is getting more and more limited as you get closer to God. Why? Because God's holy. He's perfect in all his ways, and he can't be anywhere near sin. And so the, 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 the high priest was considered to be very, very holy. But even him, if he didn't come correct into that environment, he's going to die. In fact, they tied a rope around his foot when he went in with bells on him because if he dropped dead in there, they'd have to drag him out. They couldn't go in and get him. So they'd be listening like, oh, I heard the bells like make a noise, and then they quit. I think dad died. I think we got to pull him out. Here's the point. It, it, not everybody had access. And to get into the most holy place, you had to go through a curtain, 60-foot high curtain, 30-foot wide, 4 inches thick, like a phone book. Imagine that kind of curtain. This ain't grandma's drapery. It's a curtain. The Bible says that Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, demonstrate what's going on. And God rips that curtain in two. Amen. What is God saying in this moment? Here's the demonstration. Here's what you need to understand. Here's what you need to understand. Now, because of Jesus, the presence of God isn't housed in some place that only a few people can get to. Now, because of Jesus, the presence of God, check it out, can be in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. You have access to the presence of God. You can come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Because you've been made holy by the blood of Jesus who was sacrificed on the cross for your sins. Somebody say amen. amen. So, yeah. Pretty, pretty awesome stuff there. And uh, I love this quote, Charles Spurgeon. Check this out. Talking about this rip that takes place. He says, it's not a slight rent through which we, we may see a little rent, teens, let me tell you something, teenagers, okay? Rent means rip, all right? There you go, in case you're confused. I was a little confused at first, so. It's not a slight rip through which we may see a little, but it is rent from the top to the bottom. There's an entrance made for the greatest sinner. How many of you have been a really great sinner at different times in your life? My hand's up. If there had only been a small hole cut through it, the lesser offenders might have crept through. But what an act of abounding mercy this is, that the veil is rent in the midst and rent from the top to the bottom so that the chief of sinners may find ample passage. Amen to that, right? Charles stinking Spurgeon. All right, second thing. Second crazy awesome thing that takes place here. Matthew 27, 52. The tombs also were opened and many. Somebody say many. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into this holy city and appeared to many. People came back to life. Many people. And like we hear this and we go, yeah, maybe so. a few dead people there, maybe still warm, came back. No, 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 no. This is like great, great grandma Ethel comes back and shows up. And you're going, what? I, you, I never even knew you. You were dead before I was born, and now you're here. What, what, is, what, what is happening here? These people are what? Dead people are coming back and walking around Jerusalem for a few days, and then they're gone. They go to heaven. Wild stuff. So what's happening? Okay, here's what's happening. The Bible says this about us. If you're a Christian, you made Jesus Lord of your life. The Bible says to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. 
So that means that someday when this life is over, you will fly away. You're going to go to heaven. And it's not going to happen like you'll, you, you take a trip to heaven. Like you're, you're just there. Immediately you're in the presence of God in heaven. And so that's going to happen. But your body, your spirit goes to heaven, but your body stays here. It's laid to rest here. But someday there's going to be a, a moment where God brings you back together. The, the dead in Christ will arise, and all of us who've lost our, our body in Jesus Christ will be reunited, and we'll receive what's called a glorified body. And the glorified body is going to be amazing. Really, really cool. Uh, for some of you, it's the best version of your body that you've never even experienced before. And actually, for all of us, it's that. Because it's not just like all of a sudden you're going to be fit and have abs and all that kind of stuff. It's actually like superhuman body. Because Jesus, after he resurrected, you know he was walking around the earth in his glorified body. And in his glorified body, he met... For 40 days, he met 500 people. And if you look at what he did in that time, it was some of this stuff was nuts. Like he just shows up in a room, walking through walls. Jesus, glorified body, walking through walls. There's other times he's like talking to people and meeting with people and walking with people that know him. And he's talking to them, and they have no idea it's him. So like I guess he could change his voice and maybe change the way he looked until he revealed himself. So he, like, he can disguise his glorified body in some way. And then... When it's all over and he goes up to heaven, you know how he went to heaven? He flew. He flew. <laughs> so, so check it out. In your glorified body, well, I don't know what all you're going to be able to do, but you can walk through walls, you can disguise yourself, and you can fly. Like it sounds like some Marvel type stuff is going on. So it's going to be awesome. So, so here's, the, here's my point, though. What is God saying? He brings these people back to kind of point to this idea because he had to do it here in the earth. If he's going to demonstrate it here in the earth, he's got to bring some people back to point to this idea that now through Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, we all have the promise that even though we may die, even though our life may end on earth, we are going to go to a better place and we are going to be with the eternal Father in a perfect place forever and ever and ever. Can I get an amen? amen. And then the third amazing thing that takes place, Matthew 27, 54. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they saw all this stuff, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Now, you read this one and you're kind of like, okay, well, that's kind of cool. I mean, but the, the curtain ripping, like, that's pretty cool. And the people come back to dead, that's really cool. Why is this so cool? Because you got to understand who the centurion was. Like, this guy was a bad guy. Like, this is the guy who every day crucifies people. Him and his, these are the people, they've driven thousands of nails through human flesh. Crucifixion is nothing to them. Crucifixion is Monday, Tuesday. Like, they look at their schedule for the work week, and it's, it's crucifixions. So they're used to it. And yet they see Jesus, and they see what's happening with him, and they go, this is different. This isn't like everybody else. This guy's different, truly this is the Son of God. Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani. God, demonstrate, demonstrate what is going on, why you're doing this. I want you to understand something. As Jesus hung on the cross and made this statement, he's not a confused son trying to understand what's going on in the moment. He is a focused Savior, revealing to the people he's saving what he is doing and why he is doing it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now through Jesus, we can be confident 
that we have access to the presence of God. We can boldly come to the throne of grace. God demonstrated that through Jesus now, every one of us can be a house of the presence of God. Now, because of what Jesus has done, every one of us in this room can, can know that when our life is over, we have the promise of eternal life with God in heaven someday. And through Jesus, we can understand this. Those people that seem like they are too far gone to be saved, no one is outside of the reach of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to save. Because those Gentile that Gentile centurion and his guys that believed in Jesus found grace and faith and mercy in Jesus. So, so what do we take home from this? Three things I think we got to really focus on as we look at this this week. Number one is this. Sin is significant. Sin is significant. You know, we live in a world today where we kind of want to, you know, push sin under the rug. And we want to call it our mistakes and my bad. But Jesus didn't go to the cross for your bad. He went to the cross and died because your sin was your death. Sin is the biggest problem we all face. And the Bible says in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. And in Romans 3 it says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So guess what? What we are owed for sin is death and every one of us has done it. And so it's, it's why we deal with everything. It's why we see so much darkness and wrong in this world. Is it's, it's all because of sin. It's why there's, it's why there's wars. It's why there's racial uh, inequality. It's why people get divorces. It's why... We, these terrible things, it's all because of sin. And it's important that we understand the significance of sin, that we don't try to excuse it away as my bad or not that big of a deal, but we see it for what it is because if we don't see sin for what it is, we don't see the cross for what it is. Because grace isn't amazing grace unless sin is horrible sin. And my sin was awful. And your sin was awful. But Jesus' grace is amazing. So, so sin is significant. Here's the second thing you've got to come to terms with is that God is a just God. Like we sometimes we wonder, why, like why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Why couldn't he just forgive it? Well, here's why. Because sin is injustice. It's an injustice done to someone else. When you sin, your sin is an injustice to, to God. It's an injustice to other people. And it's an injustice to you. And we, we, we're all fine with with. You know, we're really good about, we want, and we're okay with forgiveness and all that when we're the one that's done the unjust work. But when someone does an unjust work to us, we want justice served, right? So, so God is a just judge. The, the Bible talks about this in Psalm 7, Psalms 9. It says, God is a righteous judge. He rules the world righteous and judges people with, with equity. The Lord is known by his acts of justice. God's a just judge, and there's a necessity for justice because a wrong has been done. Sin has a price tag attached to it, and that price has to be paid. So, so God is a just judge. He's a just God, but he's also love. God is love, right? The Bible makes it clear. God is a loving father. So how is God a loving father and also a just judge at the same time? Like How does he, how does he take these two parts of his character parts of his personality and how do they how are they able to meet well here's how they're able to meet Isaiah 53 he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement for my peace with God was placed upon him and by his stripes I was healed 
God's love and God's justice met at the cross. And the justice for the sin of all mankind was poured out on Jesus as he demonstrated the great love of God for me and for you. So here's, here's the truth. Sin's been paid for. But in order for you to receive of that, you have to receive of that by grace through faith. It's by grace. Grace means it's available. Faith means we receive it. Faith is how we attain it. Everything you get from God comes by grace through faith. Everything. And your forgiveness of your sin is available to you and received by grace through faith. Grace means Jesus paid the price for it. Faith means I receive of it. But here's the thing. If you don't receive of it, your sin's on you. And the wage of your sin is on you. And that means death is on you. So either you can allow what Jesus did at the cross to pay for your sin, or you got to pay for it. So, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's why. God forsook Jesus so that God could accept you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, we, we love you and we're so grateful for the work that you did for us on the cross, the great love that you displayed. And we recognize, Lord, that we all sin, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this room that finds themselves in that place of saying, man, I've messed up and I'm too far gone. Lord, no one is too far gone. Every sin, every awful, ugly thing has been covered and taken care of and erased through you, Lord. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, has never received it, that I pray that you would draw them to you right now. In Jesus' name, if you're here right now and you don't have a relationship with God like you know you should, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've never received of that incredible grace that God offers you through His Son, Jesus, here's the great news for you. Your sin, no matter how bad it is, it's been paid for. And Jesus offers you forgiveness. But you've got to repent. You've got to turn to Him and say, God, I'm turning from my old ways. And I'm accepting of the work that you did on the cross. I believe, this is what you believe, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I believe he rose from the grave for me. And, and if you can believe that and pray that prayer, the Bible says you can be born again, you can receive new life. Your spirit becomes born again and you begin the process of now becoming fully a person who images Jesus Christ in this world. It's an incredible miracle that can take place in your life where there's a great exchange. You exchange your sin for the forgiveness of God. And, and do you deserve it? No, but you get it because Jesus got what he didn't deserve. See, Jesus on the cross, he never sinned. He didn't deserve that. Jesus didn't deserve it. Death did not have any claim to him. You know, there was 15 times that they tried to take Jesus' life, and it, it never took. Why? Because Jesus, you couldn't take his life. He had to offer it. And that's what he did on the cross. He offered it. And so since he offered his life when sin had no claim to him and he received a punishment for something he didn't deserve, now you can receive the grace of God, something you don't deserve, but you get it through Jesus Christ. It's an incredible gift. So if you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I would love to pray with you. And all you have to do, you, can, you, you pray this prayer and you, you begin this process of walking out new life in Christ Jesus. So if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer, and you're going to repeat after me. And, and New Song Church, those of you who pray this prayer and believe it, you've done it. I want you to pray this with some boldness and some faith because Jesus Christ has made a way. Let's say this loud and proud. Father God, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for giving your life 
so I could have new life through you. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose from the grave so I could be raised to new life through you. Father, forgive me. I repent. I turn from my sin. I exchange my, my mess for your grace. Thank you for saving me. I give you my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's give those a hand that prayed that prayer this morning. So awesome. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to know God is proud of you and heaven is rejoicing. There's a party going on in heaven right now. Because you have, your name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You've got a place with God for eternity. Someday when this life is over, you know you're going to be in heaven with God. And listen, now God wants to do a work in you that helps you to live that kind of, that kind of reality in this world, in this kingdom. God wants to do some stuff in you. And so if you prayed that prayer today, we'd love to, to, to talk with you for a moment. In fact, I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come down at this time. If you're here today and you've got a prayer need of any kind, we'd love to pray for you. But those who made Jesus Lord of your life, I want you to come down and let these guys know because we'd like to put a, a book in your hands and talk with you a little bit about the, the decision you've made so that you can begin to walk out the decision that you've made. Your spirit's been made alive, but there's other stuff that you need to start to understand. you got to get in a word. you got to get connected to the church. you got to do some stuff that'll help you to walk out the salvation that Jesus Christ made a way for you to have. So make sure before you leave today that you come down and let one of these guys know. All you got to do is say, hey, I prayed that prayer to make Jesus the Lord of my life, and then we will we'll help you from there. But also if you're here today and you have a prayer need of any kind, we would love to pray for you. We would love to join our faith with you in whatever it is that you might be dealing with. It. You know what the cross says? The cross says God cares about every aspect of your life. The cross says Jesus loves you. He loves you enough to die for you. And so he loves everything and, and he wants to help you. He wants to help you in those areas where you're struggling. He wants to help you. If you're dealing with pain in your body, Jesus suffered and died so you could be free from that pain. If you're dealing with a mind battle right now, God wants to help you. He wants to heal your mind and, and, and start to speak life and, and healing into you. Whatever you're dealing with, if it matters to you, it matters to God because you matter to God. And so don't leave today with a prayer burden. Leave that here. Okay, these guys would love to pray with you, join their faith with you. So don't miss out on that. Church, would you stand with me? We're going to go back into a time of worship. Let's just remember the incredible gift of Jesus Christ on that cross for us. And let's take this moment, this opportunity, and let's seize it to worship the Lord and glorify Him for all He's done for us. And, and if you have a prayer need, this is your time. You can start making your way out towards the altars to receive prayer from, from some of our team down there. Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you. I pray if there's anyone here that needs prayer for anything in their life, that you would help them to step out to receive in faith what you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.